Okay, guys, it's almost Rosh Hashanah, and I don't know, uh, <laughs> I don't know how we're even giving this talk right now, but but let's just give it anyway. So, um, just I'll start off with a couple, what, a couple of stories, maybe. So, here's one story. Um, it's a it's a classic a classic Hasidic story, um, and uh, I don't even remember any of the names. I'm sorry, but um, I'll just tell you it's about someone lost in a forest, and. And a lot of a lot of stories concern getting lost in forests, because there were a lot of forests. <coughs> and as I've shared with you before, you can get lost in a forest. And I, I grew up on 79th Street Broadway, so I don't know anything about forests. But I can tell you something: if you're actually lost in a forest, it's a terrifying thing, because you don't know which way is east, west, north, or south. They're wild animals who can absolutely kill you. They're robbers. And you, you don't know where you're going, and, and it's, it's horrible. So if that, if that sounds like a metaphor for life, it's supposed to, because that's, that is often life right there. Um, so so in, 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 this, in this story, there is a, a person lost in the forest, and he feels absolutely, you know, you know, he's, he's, at, he's at wit's end, you know? Can you imagine? You're, you're running this way, you're running that way, you're running this way, you're running that way, and, 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 and there's, no, there's no clarity at all. And then he sees an old man, and he's so happy. And he says to the man, which way is the way out? And the man says back to him, I'm also lost. He says, but I can tell you one thing, I can tell you which ways aren't the way out. So... You know, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's about to be Rosh Hashanah, and it's like, I don't know which way is the way out. I don't know. But I know from my own life, there's certain things which aren't the way out. And if I can share those with you, maybe that might be helpful on some level. Getting depressed and giving up is definitely not the way out. (laughs) It's definitely not the way out. You know, just whining and, 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 and commiserating why your life isn't what you imagined it should be is absolutely not the way out of the forest. It just, it, it just isn't. It just isn't. Blaming other people is not the way out of the forest. It, it isn't. It just, it, it just will not... It, it's, all of these things are like... Um, I remember when I was in grade school... You know, they had all these anti-drug sort of like teachings. And one of, the, one of them was about amphetamines. And I always remember this thing. It says, amphetamines don't give you energy. They just burn up the energy that's already in your body. Right? So it's not new energy. It feels like energy. And you actually do get energy. But it's not real energy. Because you're just burning up what's inside of you. So all of these things, all of these, all of these, um, uh, things that I just mentioned, uh, they feel good in the moment. That's why we do them. But they're like amphetamines. They're just like burning up the goodwill that we still have left inside of ourselves. And, and um, so it creates the illusion that there's some sort of progress and forward movement going. And yet it's, it's, um, it's actually we're just crippling ourselves further. We're not moving forward and we're using up the, the valuable life force inside of us that we need to actually harness in order to make any progress, which we now have less of. So, so what, is, what is the way out? So, 
so you know, it's like, it's like if you can imagine a, a trapeze artist. There's there's something there's something very beautiful about it. The the trapeze artist sort of like he swings from this very high um, place, this like bar that's you know suspended by ropes on either side of it, and he swings forward, and then. There's another bar, you know, with two ropes attached to either side of it swinging toward him, and he has to actually leap toward it. And there's this moment where it's sort of like he's suspended in the air, or she's suspended in the air. But then they, they time it, and then, you, and then you grab onto the next thing, and then you're okay. So... So that's a lot about life right there, which is that you, you really never do know. You really never do know. In fact, but if you're heading in the right direction, the answers will come. You have to let go of the other one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, that's an excellent point. To, Adam is extending the metaphor that, that in order to get to the next one, you have to let go of the previous one. And it's not, it's, it, it, in other words, in other words, a lot of people will, um, you see, a lot of us want to know exactly beaten out what is going to happen. And I'm only going to go down this path if you tell me exactly what's going to happen. And that's an unrealistic expectation. If you want to get out of the forest, you have to just start moving in positive directions. And then things will come. That's the nature of the world. Things will come. <clears throat> now that takes a certain amount of emuna, a certain amount of faith. Right? But if you invest in goodness, you can't go wrong. The goodness itself has within it a GPS that's going to direct you in the positive way and it's going to direct you to the positive people. So, so it's like, I remember, you know, I have to give such hakar satov, you know, in the sort of the long period leading up to my keeping Shabbos, I was lucky enough to start going to Reb Shlomo Karlovak Shul when I was 14 and, and I met people there along the way that, you know, really kind of set the agenda for me where I didn't quite have the um, resolve or the maturity to, to sort of do the things that were in my heart to do yet. But I was, I was learning things. Like, for instance, I remember walking in as a kid and seeing if anyone knows Reuven Halevi, you know, standing in front of the shul. And he was davening and he was moving and, and I... I and I never saw anyone daven like that before. And I remember just as a kid saying, you mean you can daven like that? Like that? That's okay? You know? Like it just opened up like all sorts of things. And then I remember another person, I think it may have been Andy Eichenholz. He said, he talked about, I think he was in graduate school at Columbia or something like that. And he said, you know something? I have to study or I have to work, but then it becomes Shabbos. And I found that if I keep Shabbos, that somehow I'm able to do the things that I need to do, they just come faster. And I'm able to get them done. 
And I thought, wow, like, like, like that's totally illogical. Like, how can that work? And yet he says it works. It must work. And you know what? It does work. It does work. I remember I, I, I was in, actually, this happened, I think, in Israel. I was, I was giving a, a talk to someone. I, I don't know who exactly. But I remember they said, I can't keep Shabbos. And I said, why? And they said, because when, if I keep Shabbos here in Israel, we have to work on Sundays. Right? So when am I going to give my dry cleaning in? I have to give it in on Shabbos. Because otherwise, I'm not going to have clean clothes. I said, you'll give it in another day. <laughs> I don't know if you listened to me. But he had a big problem. He couldn't figure out when's he going to get his dry cleaning done. The only day to bring that in was on Shabbos. Literally the only answer that was... So things happen. Things happen. In other words, in other words, Hashem, who made the world, made us, and He made the Torah. And the Torah is our map for how to get through the world. The mitzvot are our map how to get through the world. And the one who made the world made the mitzvahs. And He didn't make the mitzvahs so that we should just run into walls. He made the mitzvahs because there are openings that happen when we do the mitzvahs. And it, 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 we, you don't have to know how or why it works. You know, there, there are a lot of people who fancy themselves to be intellectuals. And they don't want to do anything unless they know exactly how it works. And it's like, do you use a computer? Do you know how that works? Do you watch television? Do you know how that works? Do you take medication? Do you know how that works? Somehow, but when it comes to this, all of a sudden you're like a tremendous scholar. Right? But when it comes to how, you know, getting into your car, can you make a car? Like if your car breaks down, can you fix it? Because you're such an expert and you know how it works? The point is that it works. And if you say, well, how do I know it works? The fact that the Jews have been keeping the Torah for thousands of years, in every age, in every zeitgeist, in every corner of the world, in every country, and the fact that we're the only people that have survived ever made it through the, 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 the meat grinder of history. We're the only ones who made it through. That, that should be testimony on some level that the mitzvahs work. Okay. So we're heading into Rosh Hashanah. So, you'll forgive me, I'll probably mention a couple of these ideas again tomorrow, but I just, just lay them out. So, so, I have a question. It's a question that I, confounds me every year, because I forget the answer to it, and then I remember the answer to it in a different way, and then I get excited again. So, here's the question, because we talk about this all the time. We talk about this year-round. <clears throat> you know, they said that for every, every day for Rabbi Nachman was, was Rosh Hashanah. It was Rosh Hashanah from every single day, which is amazing. Um, so, so we talk about how God is making and remaking the world every single moment. We talk about that all year. If you, if you come, you know that we talk about that all year. 
So if that's the case, then what's the big deal about Rosh Hashanah? So what's that? We say God is going to remake the entire world. We've been, we've been saying he makes, a re, he makes and remakes the world all the time. So what's the big deal? What's special about the remaking on Rosh Hashanah? There has to be something substantially, majorly different about the remaking that happens on Rosh Hashanah. So what is it? How does that compare to the, to the year? So I want to give the following mushal example, which is imagine you have a house and you have the ability to redecorate that house every single moment. Which means every single moment you can change the colors of the walls, you can change the wall hangings, you can change out the furniture, you can change out the carpets, all right? You can make that space look absolutely different, right? And that is your ability, that's your life, it's a metaphor for your life, that house is your life, right? And every single moment you can change it around and make it look different. Okay, that's every moment of the year. What's Rosh Hashanah? You know what happens to that house? It gets demolished. <laughs> and you rebuild a new house. That's, that's the idea that Malchus, Malchus is like remade. This, this, this dimension that we inhabit called Malchus, right? This is going to be restructured right now. And it's going to be restructured largely based on our prayers, and our merits, and what God wants from us for the future, and from our children for the future, and how he's reconciling his promise for the destiny of the world, which is Mashiach, right? In terms of where we are relative to that, all sorts of calculations are going to take place. But the main thing is you can actually participate in the remaking of the entire house right now. Now, during the year, as Rabbi Tatz points out, you can actually, like, you want to remake the house, you want to, like, knock down this wall and extend the wall, you can do it, but it takes a lot of effort. It's not so easy to do that. Like, the example that Rabbi Tatz gave was, imagine you finish a skyscraper, and now you're the owner of this building, you're walking in this skyscraper, and you go, you know what, all the windows on this side, I want to move them to the other side of the building. You know what that is once you have a finished building? What that is to move all the windows on one side to the other side and then turn where the windows are right now into a wall? You can do it, but it's a lot of work. So he says on Rosh Hashanah, like, what, but so what's the comparison to Rosh Hashanah? Imagine now the architect looks at that same skyscraper, looks at the blueprint. Now he's looking at a blueprint. He just takes a pencil eraser. He erases the windows from one side and he puts the windows on the other side. Look at, the, look at the difference. Huge difference. It's a huge difference. So, so I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the recognition that all that exists is God, that all that exists is God, and that we're working for Him, and who are we working for? Who is him in this? Who is God? Who are we working for? The one who loves us the most. So, so that's what it is. That's it. Everything has to start. Every building, every foundation, every step in life has to start with that recognition. That the whole world is nothing but Hashem. And of course Hashem exists 
dimensions beyond this world as well, right? Because if we just say God fills the world, so God equals the world, then we're putting parameters around God because God is only as large as the world. So that, that's heresy, actually. So we say that God saturates all of reality, all of the universe, and exists dimensions beyond. Now, what does that mean, dimensions beyond? Just so you understand just how way out and how mind-expanding this is. If you take a pencil on a piece of paper and you draw a circle, that's how many dimensions? Do you know? It's two dimensions. Now, if you hold a ball in your hand, that's a three-dimensional circle. That's now called a sphere. Now, can you imagine the difference? Like, imagine the, the circle on the piece of paper. Now imagine the ball in your hand, right? That's one extra dimension. Now, imagine what this, what this sphere is now in a fourth dimension. <laughs> it's very hard to do. Now imagine it in a fifth dimension. Now imagine it in a sixth, in a seventh, in a tenth, in a twenty-sixth dimension. Right? So God exists dimensions beyond this world. Dimensions beyond this world. You know, according to Aaron Soloveitchik, Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik, um, when we say Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, that means that Hashem is unique. That means that there is no comparison to God in this world. See, like Rabbi Green says, a lot of times we make the mistake when we imagine God. You know what God is? I'll tell you what God is. He's a better, smarter, stronger version of me. Like, he's just like me, only he doesn't make any mistakes. So that is so lacking. <laughs> it's so lacking. But it's so human of us to, to just extend ourselves in a more perfect... Because what else do we know except ourselves? Right? But that's, that's a big limitation on God. You see, the Ishbitzer explains that when, you, we, when, when, when the Torah says, don't make molten gods, a molten god you cast in a form. Right? So that means that there's like a mold. And there's parameters in the mold because that's what's going to give it its shape. So if you have parameters in your mind about what God is and what God isn't, what God can do and what God can't do, you're making a molten image out of God. Do you, do, you, do you understand how? Because you are casting boundaries and limitations around him. And that is actually the opposite of what God is. God is the very opposite of that. He's the one who, where no boundaries exist within him. So all of these ideas are very crucial if you want to make God king, if we want to make God king, to have in mind. No limits. No limits. No limits. So now, God needs partners. Because the classic thing about Rosh Hashanah is, what's the difference between a king and a dictator? Right? So a dictator doesn't care whether the people want him to be king or not. <laughs> I'm the king. You got a problem with that? That's your problem. And now I'll kill you. Right? That's a dictator. That's a dictator. A king wants, is, is, is a king and not a dictator because his subjects have accepted him as king. So, so we have a very amazing role because, you see, look, there's something hilarious about not believing in God. 
The hilarious thing is that God exists whether you believe in him or not. We think that we think that God exists to the extent that I believe in him. <laughs> God exists beyond whatever you believe anyway. So so the reason why this this dynamic of Rosh Hashanah of us making God king is so almost alarming. It's actually alarming. It's actually shocking. Is because God is king no matter what. And yet God desires us to know him. God desires us to have the recognition of him and to participate in the reality of our own existence. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I remember my father, Allah Shalom, was ta- looking at his four grandchildren, my sister's children, and they were of different ages. And my father was a psychologist, and he, you know, he knew about devel- developmental um, milestones as children reach certain ages and whatnot. And he looked at the four of them, and I, I always remember this. He said, these four kids, because they were of different ages, and each inhabit a different universe. Because <laughs> of what their perception of the world was. Because of their youth or their level of maturity or lack thereof. So, wouldn't it be awesome to actually live in the real world? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be great, right? So that's Rosh Hashanah. That's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is saying, all there is is God. The only thing that exists is God. And I'm, I'm in tune with the reality of existence. And God, there's no limits to you. And you can do absolutely everything, including listen to me. Who am I? What am I? And yet you're listening to me. There can only be one explanation for that. You really love me. <laughs> right? That's for all of us, obviously. Because, you know something? I, I remember, I, I, I had a conversation with someone. I mean, I, I felt privileged to even be talking to this person. This person ran one of the largest corporations in the world. Okay? When I was speaking with him, he wasn't running it at the time. You know? But he really was one of these guys who was like, you know, humanly speaking, one of these people running the world. And like, I had a chance to talk with him. And he said, he said to me, you know, I, I wanted to know, like, what was, you know, what was, what was it like, you know, what was, what was it like? So I asked him, and he said, he surprised me. He said to me, because he had done a lot of thinking, you know, he said, I, I would size someone up, and in an instant, I would be able to know whether they were someone who could help me and advance what I'm doing or not, and if they couldn't, I was, there was zero time for that person. I was, I was on to the next. Right? So, I remember, you know, again, to quote my father, 
just because it was the opposite way that, that I grew up, we, we had a, a, I lived in a building that had a courtyard. And so, you know, this was in New York City. So it was about from my, to leave my apartment area to get to Broadway, you had to walk almost like a city block. This was within the building itself. So you, can you imagine you have to walk a city block? You're going to run into neighbors all the time. And a lot of them are going to be old ladies and things like that. And they're going to want to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> and you just want to, you just want to get out of the building. Right? It's not so terrible. Like, I'm a sinner because I want to get out of the building, right? No. I mean, it's normal. But my father used to say all the time, you have five minutes for everyone. There's no one in the world that you don't have five minutes for. You know, from, from the time I was a kid, I, 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 I heard that. And so, so the thing is, is that how is it possible that God has time to hear each one of us speak? How is that possible? And there only can be one explanation because he has this characteristic of love. Because if he didn't have this characteristic of love, he simply wouldn't have time for us. Now let me ask you something. Imagine you invest some money in a business. Aren't you rooting for the business? It's your money. You want your investment to pay off. God puts a piece of himself in each one of us. You don't think he wants us to be successful? He's literally invested a piece of himself in every single one of us. And let me ask you this, that, that piece of us that he's put inside of us, our souls, you don't think our souls are crying out to be successful and for us to be the most godly that we can be? So here's what I would suggest very boldly. Anyone who's wrestling with the idea, should I do more? Just do more. Anyone who's wrestling with the idea, should I do it at all? Absolutely. <laughs> because what are you going to have at the end of your life? You know, the, the famous expression is there's no pockets in shrouds. You know what that means? It means you can't take it with you. So imagine you want to accumulate vast wealth. You, you literally can't take it with you. You know, one of my favorite things in the world that I've ever learned, I learned it from Rabbi Berylwein, that the Jews of, I believe it was 12th century or maybe it was 13th century Provence in France, that what they, they had a, a minig, a custom, where they would take their Shabbos table and they would use the wood from their Shabbos table to make their coffins out of. Now this is awesome. Why would they do that? Because they, they felt that the, the Shabbos table was the headquarters of chesed, the headquarters of the kindness that they did in this world. And they understood 
that that's the only thing that they're taking with them. Was the chesed and the love and the good stuff that they did in this world, that's the only thing that's following them up into the next world. So, you know, if you want to be smart, and I tell you this not to brag, because I want to tell you this because don't be fooled by the world's definition of smart. I went to Bronx Science. Bronx Science graduate, at this point, seven Nobel Prize winners in physics, okay? I went to Harvard, okay? I am smart enough to know that I'm not smart. That's actual, the beginning of wisdom. I'm not saying I have wisdom, but that's at least the beginning of wisdom. If you think, you know what, I got to the end of my life and I didn't keep Shabbos, I'm so smart! I resisted the urges of all these voices. And then, and then, and then what? And then what? Because this world never ends. You think this world ends? This world never ends. What's animating you? What's the difference between you and a chair? You have a soul. What's that soul going to do at the end of your life? You know what? I have to be true to myself. I have to be true to myself and go to the dentist on Shabbos and go shopping on Shabbos and do my dry cleaning on Shabbos and make calls on Shabbos and buy a tomato on Shabbos. And then all of a sudden, at the end of my life, what did I do? I won the right to buy a tomato? So you say, well, you want me to do something that, that I don't fully accept, that I don't fully believe in. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that you exist? What is this world doing here for crying out loud? What are you doing in a body? How, how is it possible that when you reach for a cup, your hand actually moves toward a cup? How is it possible that anything works? Anything. You don't think that there's a master, a creator guiding all of this? Who, who could guide all of this? How is any of this possible? So Rabbi Freeman said something so beautiful because, you know, the power of a, a, an explanation to take all these this masses of information and just to have a nice clear through line through it is so great. If you look at the slichos, we've been saying the slichos, if you look at the slichos, it's sort of like we're low and we're the worst sinners that ever existed and, you know, uh, and, you know I want to throw up looking at myself right now, okay? That's, that's a more free translation of the text. <laughs> You know, but still, if you look at the slichos, they're not. It's, it, it's, it's, it's far from a love poem to our own greatness. It's the, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. So, so, so then, if I'm such a heap of trash, who am I to stand before the king? And then what's my, it's, it feels like this is alienate, alienating me before God in preparation for standing before God, who you're saying loves us and is investing in us and is keeping the entire 
universe going. So how do I, how do I reconcile these two, these two opposites? So what Rabbi Freeman said was, was so beautiful, so clear. He said, you know something? We make ourselves small. All the slichos are in order to make ourselves small. So that when we stand before God, we say, look, I'm so small. <laughs> but I love you so much. In other words, it's just a preparation for getting into the right frame of mind so that we don't, you see, because God plays a trick on us. He makes a world where it makes it look like we're actually doing things. And then we convince ourselves that we really are doing things. And then, and, and no one can avoid this trap. No one can avoid this trap. And then, and then you think you're something. And then if I'm something, who are you? <laughs> Right? Like we always go back to it because it's such a cash Torah. Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Beis Yaakov, the second Ishvitzer Rebbe, that deep down every single person thinks they created themselves. And on Rosh Hashanah, that is the, that is, you know, like when you're in all the movies where you're, you're digging in the field and you're digging and you're digging and all of a sudden there's the sound of the, sh- the metal shovel hitting the metal treasure chest. It's like thunk. And then you realize, ah, right, now I got something. Right? The thunk moment is when we confront this idea that I didn't create myself. And all of us know it intellectually, but that's not enough. That's not enough. You have to know it actually in your heart that you didn't create yourself. And you have to know it in your heart that you didn't create the world. And you have to know it in your heart that you're lucky to even be breathing or blinking or standing or anything. That every little movement of your finger is a total outrageous gift. That every breath is an outrageous gift. You know, one of the things that we say in a, in a house of mourning, Rahman al-Litzlan, we should only know simchas, is is, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, too, too high is the ransom to redeem the soul. So, meaning to say that, um, I can't afford anything. You know, ultimately, I, you want to, you want to try to buy, you're, you're a rich guy, you want to buy some breathing for a dead man? Who wants to sell me one of their breaths so I can give it to this dead guy? I'll sell you a breath. It doesn't work. There's no, there's no amount of money that you can give for that. It's in, uh, it's in the Tehillim for the House of Mourning at the end of Davening. You can look it up. It's toward the end of it. Um, so, so this is this is the big moment, and this is, I think, one opportunity, one doorway for a big breakthrough in terms of our davening, when we can really understand. And I'm not talking intellectually; I'm talking with all of our hearts that we didn't make ourselves, because when you realize that you didn't make yourself, 
Then all of a sudden, it's like almost like a free fall in consciousness. You're just free falling because you're realizing that I can't actually do anything. I can't, I can't, I can't do anything. And you realize, wow, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, can you imagine? It's like there's like a number that's getting printed before you. And it's just like there's a one and just like zeros keep on appearing afterwards where you realize what, what our debt is to God. What, what, what the price of like the smallest action is. Because nothing, nothing can be bought. Everything is a gift. And then from that standpoint, we can begin to say, wow, there really only is God. That really is the only thing that there is. And then we can revisit the thought, and God is listening to me. And God loves me. And I get now to say, Hamelech? God, you're the king? Thank you, God, so much. Thank you, God, so much for giving me this opportunity to even exist. Thank you, God, so much for this opportunity to, to just have like one moment in my life where through my own free choice, which you've given me, but which I'm exercising, which I'm choosing to exercise, through my own free choice, I'm getting to say, it's you and it's only you. And now this becomes the beginning and the foundation of all things. You see, the Mayor of Hashemish says that Rosh Hashanah is below to above. That's our recognition of Hashem. And then I'm adding this, but I think that it, it's probably consistent with what the Mayor of Hashemish is saying. Then Yom Kippur then becomes above Tabula. Once we once we recognize God as King, then the Chef and the purity and all of the atonement and all the forgiveness pours down from above Tabula. So So, on one level, Rosh Hashanah is so hard. And on the other level, there's part of it that potentially could be easy. If we can just bring ourselves to a real, actual recognition of God's kingship. Of just the fact that all there is is God and that I'm included in that. All of us are included in that, obviously. Then we're actually living in a real space. And it's deep. This is deep, because... Do do you think it's a coincidence that that Rosh Hashanah is, is the sixth day of creation, which is the day that human beings are made? Do you understand that we're tapping back into the beginning of our own creation? That God is giving us the opportunity on Rosh Hashanah to revisit the root of our own existence. That we get to travel back through all the DNA lines and all the chromosomes and all the generations back to our source. 
and to start again. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, that's actually awesome. You know, I'm going to throw out a, a sci-fi Torah thought, and, and I preface it by saying that, you know, take it or leave it, because I don't know. But as we fix the past, maybe the past changes. Actually, now that I say it, yeah, the Lukute Torah says it. A new past gets, gets created as well. So, okay. Just, we'll just finish by, by uh, I'll tell you in the, the name of Yedidya Barakana, Snashamashirav and Aliyah. Something that he would always was very machmer to point out every single year. We're davening in the plural, and I'm guilty of this all the time. I turn it into the singular. I do it, and I, I, I'm, I'm bad at that. So we have to remind ourselves: all of the davening is in the plural. Just keep that really clear, and you'll actually have a very that one thing will give you a very different experience. Oh, can't, 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 can't stop without just wishing all of us the best year, the sweetest year, right? Because God is good, so everything that happens to us is good. But we say also a sweet year, a good sweet year, because what's sweet? Sweet means that the good is readily apparent. It's revealed. The good is revealed. So we should have a, a good sweet year where we should see God's goodness in absolutely everything. And to really to really do what we need to do. To really do what we need to do. And that it should go smoothly and we should get siyata deshamaya, help from heaven. And that we shouldn't become discouraged. And that we shouldn't keep on going in the forest back on the paths that we already know don't work. <laughs>